and he sat down at the kitchen table, and I think the first thing I remember him saying was, I want the kids to learn a musical instrument. Well, okay, and so me, being a six-year-old, decided that the flute was the most beautiful instrument in the entire world, and I had to play it. Unfortunately for six-year-old Brianna, the music studio close to our house did not teach the flute to six-year-olds, so my mom signed me up for beginner flute, which was the recorder. And I went into my first lesson, and I looked around this tiny room, and I saw the one chair in that room, and I sat down and waited for my instructor to come in. And she came in and looked at me and said, you're in my seat. And I went, well, where do I sit? And she goes, you don't, you stand. And it took about two weeks, and then I switched to piano, because then I was guaranteed to have a chair to sit on anytime I needed it. And I, from that moment, fell in love with piano. I fell in love with music. I fell in love with listening to it and playing it. And I think a big part of that is because God gifted me with the ability to connect with him through music. He often speaks to me through worship songs. I think that one of the reasons I can play is so that I can give glory to him. And so I was listening to a song by Vertical Worship called Yes, I Will. And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. For all my days, I choose to praise. And I encourage you to go home and listen to the rest of the song if you haven't heard it. It's pretty powerful, and I think it beautifully captures our first lesson today from Daniel chapter 3. We need to choose to praise God in our suffering. The book of Daniel takes place after Jerusalem has been defeated by Babylon, and some of Jerusalem's best and brightest young men are taken as captives to Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. At this point, these young men who have entered the king's service have already faced testing. They've already had to choose between eating the delicious food and drink that the king has given them or vegetables and water. This is like their first kind of initiation into Babylon. They are kind of tested whether they're going to go along with the customs there or remain faithful to God. And I'm sure what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to communicate to these young men was something like this. Look to me for everything, not to your God. However, they refused the feasts, and they continued to look to God in everything. I wish I could say that this was the last of their testing and that things got easier from then on. Babylon was not finished. They still had much to suffer. In Daniel chapter 3, we find three men who have been taken from their home in Jerusalem and are now living as captives in Babylon. Babylon was the capital of the Babylonian and the Neo-Babylonian empires, and it was a heavily populated city. It had double walls that were huge, it had lots of palaces, it had lots of temples. They had a history of continually rejecting the one true God. They knew who God was, but he was not their God. Instead, they had turned to pagan gods. There was sexual immorality, temple prostitutes, False gods were prominent all throughout the city. And the evil of the Babylonians contrasts the faithfulness of God's servants who have now been brought into Babylon. In Daniel chapter 3, we immediately learn that King Nebuchadnezzar has created a statue entirely out of gold, probably about 90 feet tall, in order for people to come and worship it. 
So let's read these verses together, starting in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. We see here that King Nebuchadnezzar has put a lot of work into this plant. First of all, he's got this huge gold statue, and then he gets together this impressive orchestra to let everyone know when they need to worship the statue. He is again testing people's devotion to him, and anyone who will not worship the statue will immediately be thrown into a great fire. It's clear that those who broke the law were going to be punished. In an ancient writing, it says that Nebuchadnezzar was so devoted to justice that he did not rest night or day. The document also tells of a criminal who was guilty of a second offense, who was decapitated, and afterwards a stone image was put up warning everyone what would happen if they didn't listen to Nebuchadnezzar. So it makes sense that when Nebuchadnezzar says, worship this statue or you're going to get thrown into the fire, people obeyed. Verse 7 tells us that everyone who heard the call to worship fell down immediately and worshiped the gold statue that had been set up. Well, almost everyone. Let's keep reading from verse 8. It says, At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew who they served. They knew the only one who was worthy of their praise, and they continued to praise him even though everyone else was falling to their knees before a statue. Even though the cost was great, they remained faithful to God and chose to praise him and only him. Now, I've never been taken to a captive land. I've never had to go somewhere and work as a slave in a place I didn't know. I've also never had to choose between eating meat and wine and only vegetables. I've never heard an orchestra calling me to fall down and worship a 90-foot gold statue. But I have found myself in the middle of suffering, confusion, and things that I didn't understand. I remember sitting on the couch in my living room on the evening of January 6, 2020, when I got a text message from my mom. 
She had let me know that she had gone into the emergency room earlier that day to get some testing done because she had been having some chest and some back pain that wasn't normal. They had done some x-rays and found small growths on her lungs. And they booked her in the next day to go in for a CT scan. Now, I have never Googled anything so fast in my entire life. Do lung growths mean cancer? How likely are growths to be cancer? What else can lungs be, or can lung growths be? I responded back, asking my mom what growths on her lungs could mean, because my mom had always been like my at-home nurse and my live-in encyclopedia to the point that even, like I was homeschooled, and I would look for things that I could find that my mom didn't know. And I remember in biology one day being like, hey mom, do you know what this word means? And she's like, no, I've never heard that word before. And I was like, this is my moment. And I explained it to her, and she was like, oh, Brianna, it's actually pronounced like this. So like my mom knew a lot of things. And I just sat there and I hoped, and I hoped and I hoped that she would respond back giving me like a list of possible illnesses. But she didn't give me a list of options. She sent back two words, probably cancer. I remember laying on the floor in my living room that night begging God to not let it be cancer. I probably would have taken any of anything else, anything more treatable, anything less scary. But after a CT scan the next day, the doctor confirmed it. Terminal stage four pancreatic cancer that had now spread to her lungs. I felt like the floor had fallen out from under me. I felt like I was underwater, but no matter how hard I kicked, I couldn't get to the surface. I was suddenly faced with a choice. Would I give in to the fear and uncertainty and chaos that I felt, or would I choose to be faithful to God? But thankfully, when God calls us to trust him, he doesn't ask us to do it by ourselves in our own strength. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to praise God instead of the statue set before them. So Nebuchadnezzar had them brought before him to question them. He lays out all the facts and gives them another chance. Like, they probably misunderstood, right? Maybe they were sick on statue worship training day. So the king gives them another chance. In verse 15, he says to them, Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Let's listen to that last line. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have felt incredible pressure. The king, the furnace, the music, those who had already fallen down and worshipped, and those conspiring against them. Everything around them was trying to get them to compromise. I don't know for sure, but I wonder whether or not they also felt alone in the midst of this situation. Everyone had already fallen down and worshipped. The king's astrologers were working against them. The king was furious. All eyes were on them to see what they would do. Now, I don't know about you guys, but often my heart's first instinct is to judge the situation on the bad. I look at the danger or the problem. I would be the one looking at the king's threat and the heat of the burning furnace, and I would focus on that, when what I need to do is focus instead on how powerful God is and how great his love for me is. You see, the enemy wants us to believe that our suffering is so big 
and so heavy that it can never be overcome. He wants us to think that we are alone and nobody will ever understand what we are going through. But the truth is that that's a lie because Jesus does. Pretty early on in my mom's diagnosis, I remember sitting with her right before a biopsy that she had to have done. She let me know that she was feeling scared and kind of alone. The road ahead looked so long and it didn't lead to a destination that she wanted to go to in the first place. The reality was, I didn't have any idea what she was going through. I could be there with her. I could feel fear and despair. However, I didn't understand it the same way that she did. But in that moment, Jesus did. Just like my mom, Jesus experienced looking at death in front of him, and he didn't want to go towards it. He prayed and asked the Father to take it away from him. But in everything, he trusted and followed God. In that moment, Jesus knew exactly what my mom was feeling, because he had felt it too. Jesus knew the fear that my heart was experiencing. He knew what my brother and sister-in-law were going through. He knew exactly what my dad was feeling. And in those moments, he was right there with each of us. The second lesson that we can learn from Daniel chapter 3 is this. We are not alone. God is present in our suffering. Let's keep reading Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from you, your majesty. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In their answer, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed great trust in God and his incredible power. They know that the God they serve is more powerful than the pagan gods of the Babylonians. They know that the one true God is above all and is not scared of any threats that King Nebuchadnezzar might throw their way. However, they also show that they understand how important it is to submit to God's will. They know God's power, but they also know that they've got to be faithful to God, even if God doesn't do what they want him to. They don't doubt God's ability to save them, but they recognize that God's plan might be different than their desires. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose to trust God's plan, even though they couldn't see what God was doing, even though things seemed hopeless. My mom died February of this year, and guys, that's definitely not what I wanted to have happen. There's no world or multiverse where that was my plan. So many times I prayed and asked God for healing for her. So many times I asked God to take her cancer away. And he did. She's in heaven now with no pain and no suffering and no cancer. But that's not how I wanted to go. If I looked at like the plan according to Brianna, that would not be in it. So now I've got this decision to make. And I've got to choose to continue to trust God and know that he's here with me in my heartbreak. My mom asked me many times throughout her walk with cancer how my heart was doing. And at the beginning of everything, I expected three things. I expected to be angry with God, I expected to question God, and I expected not to trust God. But I can honestly say that not once did I experience anger. Not once did I question God, and not once did I stop trusting God. 
And I think that's because God protected my heart so graciously through everything. In it all, I chose to trust God. And every time, it was a choice, and it was a hard choice. But I chose to look to him instead of to my suffering. And every time, he poured out joy. He filled my heart with thankfulness. I was thankful for every day that I got to spend with my mom. She was given 11 months to live originally, and then she ended up living just over two years, which was a miracle. I was thankful for an incredible church family who loved me and supported me and checked in on me. I was even a little bit, like the tiniest bit, thankful for COVID. And hear me out, like not actually COVID. But I was thankful that I got to work from home and I got to spend a ton of time with my mom. Time that I wouldn't have gotten to spend with her otherwise. But let's keep reading in Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were, burned, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Now, one of the things that stands out to me as I read this is how incredible it is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't burned up the moment they entered the fire. The fire had been heated to the point that those who are throwing them into the furnace have died just because they got too close. But these three men who have been actually thrown into the furnace are still alive. What's even more incredible is the fact that instead of three people inside the furnace, there are four. The fourth person, this person who looks like the son of gods, is the actual son of God, Jesus. Jesus was literally with them in the worst of their suffering. In the time where they have, may have been most tempted to feel the most alone. And we're not sure whether or not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were aware that Jesus was with them but he was there with them nonetheless. That day before my mom's biopsy, God put another song on my heart. It's called Another in the Fire, and some of the lyrics go like this. There will be another in the fire standing next to me. There will be another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how good you've been to me, I'll count the joy come every battle, because I know that's where you'll be. God was present in my suffering. God was present in my mom's suffering. He was there in the battle. God was present in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's suffering. And God is present in your suffering too. The final lesson I hope we come away with this morning is this. God is working through our suffering. About a month before we found out that my mom was sick, I heard this song called Refiner by Maverick City Music on the radio, and I kind of fell in love with it. The music in it is pretty simple, but as my mom put it, I feel like this is what worship will be like in heaven, just a bunch of people gathered around praising God. 
But it's the lyrics that really stood out to me. Some of them say, you're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire, purified. You take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. I heard this song, and I was immediately like, yep, I want this song to be my life song. I want it to be like my anthem. And then I forgot about it. Until earlier this year, when we were having our staff and elders retreat, and Dr. Gordon Smith asked us to think through which form of the Holy Spirit we best connect with, whether it's a dove or oil or water or wind or fire. And before I started praying, I thought for sure that it would be the Holy Spirit as water because that was the form that I was most familiar with and had thought through. But almost immediately, this image of fire became so clear in my mind. And this song I had loved in the past, Refiner, came back to my mind. I realized that the form I most connect with isn't water. As painful as it sometimes is, as uncomfortable as it might be, it's this image of fire, of refining. And I've started to think through the idea of refining a lot more. So I looked up in the dictionary, because my mom's not here to tell me, I had to look up what the word refine means. And it's the removal of impurities or unwanted elements. So sugar is refined by boiling it in these huge vats. Or with metals, heat is applied at a temperature just over the melting point to turn it into a liquid. And then it flows down the furnace and leaves the impurities behind. But in all of these refining processes, the things that you had at the beginning is different than the thing you have at the end. It's not the same. And even if we look back to our story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a change that happened. There are these three guys who are now, they've come out of the fire, they're unharmed, and they get promoted. But they weren't the only ones who experienced a change. Daniel 3, 26 to 30, it says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. We see here that Nebuchadnezzar has changed too. Before they were even out of the furnace, he recognized now that these men served the one true God. But he doesn't just recognize God's power. He actually turns and gives glory to God. Because these three men from Jerusalem were willing to walk through suffering, the king praised the God of Israel, the one true God. Seeing God at work in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was an extremely effective te testimony to Nebuchadnezzar. 
And our faithfulness today in the face of suffering is an extremely powerful testimony too. God did a huge work in my mom's heart all throughout her life. I think he was refining her from the start. I think about stories that she would tell me when she was a kid, and she would pray to some God that she didn't believe in that they would never become Christians because as a girl guide, she had to go to the closest church to fill out a form to get her badge. And there they made her fill out a form about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And somehow she came out of that thinking, those Christians sacrifice their children, and I never want to be one. And then she thought it through, and she's like, no, 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 no. That's illegal here in Canada, but they would if they could. And so she prayed. She said, God, I don't believe in you, but like, please somehow make sure that my family never becomes Christians. And that was her childhood growing up. And I think then to like years ago when my family went to go tour the Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City, and my mom sat on the bench and like wept because these people there didn't know Jesus, because they hadn't experienced Jesus like she did. I look at that, and I look at the transformation that God did. Every step of the way, my mom was obedient. Through each refining, she desired to see God be glorified. Throughout most of my mom's journey with cancer, I got to be there with her. I would take her to lots of her chemo appointments, and then she would often stay with me around the appointment because my place was way closer than her place was to the Cross Cancer Institute. This provided us with lots of time to talk about things. I remember one time after picking her up from her chemo treatment, I asked her if she was scared. <clears throat> I asked her if she was scared to die. Her response to me was very impactful. She told me that she only wanted to be here on earth for as long as she was of use to God. And then as soon as he did not need her here anymore, she wanted to go be with him. I think now lots about the impact that my mom had on people. She had the opportunity to bless people in incredible ways because of her cancer. She got to make lots of masks for nurses at the Cross Cancer Institute. She got to pray with and for her nurses that she met with weekly. And even as she was finishing her race, during her last week on earth, probably like the hardest week of my life, because I also had COVID at the same time. So I was in the hospital, full PPE, trying to sleep on this couch, and I know one of the nurses came in. And she was like, I don't know how you do this. Like, I don't know how I come in every night and you still smile. And I got to explain the gospel to her, and I got to pray with her, which is something that is only a result of my mom's faithfulness. In the last six months, God brought the song Refiner to my mind more and more times than I can count. And one day he asked me this question. He said, Brianna, if you had known when you first heard this song that part of your refining would be walking through cancer with your mom, if you had known then that giving your life would also mean giving me your mom, would you still want that to be your life song? Would you still have prayed those words? And I've sat with that question for a long time. But I've realized that again and again and again, my answer is yes. Because no other God can save in this way. So as we close this morning, I want to encourage you guys. Choose to praise Jesus in your suffering. Sometimes that choice is easier. Sometimes it's really hard. But even when you can't see the good and it seems hopeless, he is still good and is worthy of praise. Remember that God is present in your suffering. Don't believe the lie that you are alone. 
that nobody else cares or knows what you're going through because Jesus is right there with you, even when you don't see him. And finally, look for ways that God is working in your suffering. Hold on to those glimpses of what God is doing and let him continue to use you, even when it hurts. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are so good, even in the hurt, even in in fear and when we're scared and when we don't know what's going on and we don't want to go where you're calling us to go. I thank you that you are there with us. I thank you so much for your love and your strength and your comfort, and I thank you that your plan is the one we're following, not our own. So God, I pray that you will be with each one of us here this morning. Help us to trust you. Help us to praise you. Help us to keep our focus on you, even when it wants to go anywhere else. God, just pour out your spirit over us again and again and again. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brianna.